Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you again for these 50 years with this wonderful woman. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to us through this marriage, our wonderful children, Father, and grandchildren, and now a great-grandson. You have blessed us so much, Father. We, our family is so blessed, and that has come from you. And I thank you for this family, Father. You've blessed us with this family. Your word says that for the gospel's sake, when you leave your family and leave your home, and we've done that before, Father, you'll bless us with family many in this life. And this is part of that family that you've blessed us with, and we thank you for this family. And now we turn our attention to your word, Father. You have given to your body, to the church, the Word and the Spirit. And we look to both of these today that by the Spirit and by the Word, you might speak and deposit into our hearts and into our lives the truth that we need in this time, in this generation. Jesus said that if you abide in my Word, if you, if you remain in my Word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And we've come here today for freedom from whatever bondages there are in our lives, even maybe bondages we don't know about, that you desire for your children to be free. And so for that, we turn to the Word, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. Praise God. Well, we're continuing, and this, this may be the last one. We're winding down this series, obviously, called What is Truth? And the basis of this comes out of Scriptures in John chapter 18, which we won't turn to this morning, where Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, and he's being tried, and Jesus, uh, Pilate, Jesus says to him, uh, Pilate says, are you a king? And he said, the kingdom that I'm a king of is not of this earth. If I were my kingdom were of this earth, my servants would fight for me and deliver me from the hands of the Jews. But I am not of this king. My kingdom is not of this world. And, and so he said, but I have come that I may bear witness to the truth. And Pilate looks at him and says, the, the question of the ages, what is truth? And the amazing irony of that scene is while Pilate, this educated man, this, this highest Roman authority in that area, is asking the question, what is truth? What he doesn't realize is standing in front of him is truth himself. Because Jesus says later on, earlier, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come from me, through me. And so Jesus says, I am the, tr- I am the truth. We looked at some scriptures last week that taught that God is truth. And then we began to look at, all right, wh- why is that so important? Because we're living in an age we're living in an age where, where what Isaiah talked about, truth has fallen in the street. There's great confusion out there over what is truth. And now we've come to an era, which I've been talking to you about for several weeks, that's known as postmodernism. And that's basically a philosophy that there really is no such thing as absolute truth. And I've used Pastor Kurt's guitar as kind of an example of that. The truth is whatever you think it is for you, and truth is whatever I think it is for me. And the real essence of truth is the language we use because we form truth with our words. And I've used this simple example, which I drove past one the other day, and it really struck me again. A car lot that used to have used cars, and now they're pre-owned. Same car but you just call it something different. And what it is, is it's taking that car and by re-describing it, you change the whole image of it. Because a used car is somebody else's leftover, and we've talked about this before, but a pre-owned car means they broke the car in for you, but you're the one it was really intended for, and as a salesman, that's an easier sell than this is a leftover for you if you happen to like it. 
And that's just a simple example, but there are many things out there in our news media. There are many things out there very subtly in our, in our, uh, our entertainment uh, media uh, where these subtle philosophies that there is no such thing as truth, that, that, that the other thing is that there are no, there's no system of reality. So even the political systems, the religious systems, they throw them all out from Islam to Christianity. Why? Because they said there's no way you can come up with, because there's no truth, there's no way you can come up with any way of living, any system, any religion that's going to help you answer all the questions of truth because there really is none out there. What a very, very cynical way to live. And then we talked about the fact that not only is that logically defective, because if there is no such thing as truth, how do I know that's true? Because if there's no such thing as truth, that's not truth. And so, but I'm not approaching it from that point of view because I'm not trying to convince somebody that believes in postmodernism to throw it out and to believe in Christianity. If that happens, wonderful. But my main purpose is to equip you, is to equip all of us to go out there into a postmodern world, into a world that's saturated with these th- thoughts, saturated with these points of view. And you may not hear the n- term postmodernism in the, any place other than in here during this series, but you're being affected by it. You're being affected by the viewpoints that are underneath it and that, it, that drive it. And so it's important for us, first of all, not to be threatened by it, but also for us to be able to learn to discern in that world out there what is truth and what is not truth. So one of the things we've looked at is one of the major assumptions that this modern thinking has is that the only thing that we know that can be real are things that we can understand with our mind, we can s- detect with our senses. And man has amazing instruments today to detect things with our senses. We have Hubble telescopes and we have space probes that go out and are looking outside of our solar system now and sending back signals and radio waves and video things that we've never dreamed of seeing before. And then we have electron microscopes and things that can, we can split the atom and do all kinds of things like that into these very small parts of, of reality. And because of that, man has developed this attitude, which he's had for almost since the beginning, that we can understand all of reality. Therefore, if I don't think something's out there, it's not out there. And I I taught this from the point of view because all of that assumes that there's no other realm of existence. All of that assumes that the only realm of existence that exists is this natural, tangible realm of existence. As wonderfully as we can understand it, that that's all there is. And I use the example of Fluffy. I don't remember that's Fluffy's name. Our kids may remember better than I do. But when we lived in Oklahoma, we had a hamster. And hamster, we, hamster was in this cage, and I've talked about this before, and Fluffy's sole goal in life was to get out of that terrarium and get it running around in our house, and once or twice he succeeded. So we'd always bought us this little plastic ball, and we took the top of it, and you could drop Fluffy in there, and you could put the top on the ball and put Fluffy down, and Fluffy rolled all over the house as if Fluffy were free. Fluffy's experiencing what the carpet's like. Fluffy's experiencing what the wall's like. But what Fluffy doesn't realize is Fluffy's doing it from inside a plastic ball. And so what looks to us like, and this dates it again, orange shag carpet. <laughs> To Fluffy feels hard because all Fluffy's experiencing it through is this plastic ball. And that's kind of where man is. We're trying to experience reality through these very limited five senses we have and this very limited brain that's located between our ears. And our minds are capable of conceiving and inventing all kinds of amazing things. 
but it's arrogance to assume that we can understand all of reality with this piece of wet meat between our ears. And so we've looked at that. So that means that there may be a truth out there that's outside of this realm that we can detect with our senses, and the Bible surely tells us that it's the spirit realm that's out there. And so the Bible teaches us that you're not just... That's part of what's being taught out there. You're wet, twitching, twitching meat. You're wet meat with electrons going through you. That that's all man really is, is matter. That's why you can redefine what's in a womb from being a fetus to being a thing. Because it's just wet matter until it comes forth and those sweet eyes look you in the face. And now it becomes a living being to you. That's redefining something for my purposes. And so, so um, where was I? It was good. <laughs> I was over here. That's where I was. Okay. So, so there's a reality out there. So what we began to look at is, first of all, how, what does God say about all this from the Word of God? I mean, if you, if you reject the Bible, then there's no way of knowing what any of this is like. But it's interesting. Our ma- mankind today, and it's not just today, has some innate desire to, b- to believe that there is some spiritual thing out there. So we have all kinds of spiritual inquiries out there from formal spiritualists to, to, these, to, to, to Avatar and all, Harry Potter and all these efforts to, my man, venture into understanding or imagining things out there in a spirit realm because, that's beyond our natural ability, that something's out there. Beyond, because in built into man is this sense of the supernatural. Because we came from supernatural. And there is supernatural inside of us. So we began to look at what, is, what does God say about all this? And we saw that God, looking, looking from outside the plastic bullet, Fluffy, God, looking at man outside of this realm of existence, says that any effort to try to define all of reality ourselves in God's eyes is foolishness. It's foolishness. And, and what man would think is foolishness to God is his wisdom. God chose things that man thinks are foolish to put to nothing the things that man thinks are wise. So through foolish things like the preaching of the Word, God saves people eternally. Not through some great philosophy or some great system of thought, but simply the preaching of the Word. And so we've looked at all that. And so what we're going, we've looked at... Um, that last week we began to look at, all right, what, how do we know truth? How can we tell truth? And where does truth come from? And let's, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we saw, there was, we looked at more than that, but we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're just, look, I'm not going to argue with anybody who said, well, that's, you know, how do you know this is real? I know it's real for me because I've experienced it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's in, it was in here this morning, 2 Timothy, here we go, chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Go back to verse 16. What I want you to see is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That literally means in the Greek, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's God speaking to us. So what's in the Scriptures is God communicating to us truth. God communicating to us truth. That's why we've, we've named our television program Catch the Truth. Not my truth, it's God's truth. 
So God has given us something to communicate truth to us so we would know that there's really an orange shag carpet underneath this ball we're walking around in. That there's a reality out there and what's in that reality that we need to know that we can't see with our eyes and hear with our ears and understand with our mind. And we've looked at some of that before. So the truth comes, the way God wants to, the way God is ordained to communicate truth to us is primarily through this word. Primarily through this word. And we're going to look at this today. So, I want to talk to you about, uh, let's go to, over to, let's read down through, um, let's go, okay, let's go, keep right on going. Let's go to chapter 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talked in the beginning of chapter 3, which we read last week, about the perilous, dangerous times. And I believe we're in those perilous, dangerous times. If it's not the ultimate one, they certainly are perilous and dangerous times where men are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, uh, they're boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unforgiving, proud, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he talks about th- th- this, and then he says in chapter 4, I charge you therefore, this is his answer. This is his answer to, to, to confusion. This is his answer to the church for confusion. I charge you, talking to Timothy, who was the pastor of a church, therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He just said the word is God breathed. Now you preach it. You declare it. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I've told you that before over several weeks the difference between a fable and the truth. A fable is a man-made story that gives a man-made tr- principle and a truth is something that's come from God. And we compared the, the, the story of the three little pigs because that teaches the lesson that the, 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 the success in life is what you build what you build your house out of, what you build your life out of. And then Jesus taught the parable of the two houses that one lasted and the other fell, and it wasn't what their houses were built of, it was what their houses were built on. And so he, the pre- lesson's there, if you build your life on the Word of God and on the truth of God, your life will stand in the storms, and if you don't, it won't stand. So the difference between a truth and a fable is very subtle but very critical And the way you know it's truth is it comes through God and not from man's own thinking. So we've talked about that. So now what I want to begin to look at, let's go to Romans. uh, So the first way that we know the truth, we're going to talk this morning about how do I know truth? How can I tell whether something I'm hearing is truth? How can I tell whether what I'm understanding is truth or not? That's what this is all about. Well, the first thing is, since God gives us this word to reveal truth to us, then it has to line up with this word. And this is where a lot of Christians are struggling and a lot of pastors are struggling because we're living in a society now in a culture where there are a lot of things in this word that aren't popular. I grew up in an era, and some of you grew up in the era, even our children grew up in an era, where basically what our society believed in, what were called Christian Judeo morals and ethics. So although they may not be believers in Christ, although they may not read their Bible, the basic principles of morality, the basic principles of what's right and wrong that God teaches in here were basically what our society accepted. And now what's happened is that's completely turned upside down. It's, it's not only not accepted that if you believe some of these things, you will be attacked and accused of hating people. 
And that's something that's been, that's been defined for us. One of the, I don't want to get stuck on this. But one of the reasons in a court they have rules of evidence of what kind of questions can be asked is because the way you ask a question determines what comes out in the answer. I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's see who would be good to pick on. Oh, Steve would be good. This is the classic one. Steve, I have a question for you. Have you stopped beating your wife? You were ready for that. She's sitting next to you. <laughs> How do you answer that? Because the way the question's framed, you lose either way. Because if you say, yes, I've stopped beating her, that's saying, but I was. Or if you say, as Steve did, no, that means I'm still beating her. But there's no way you're trapped by the, by the question. So today when we're accused because we believe certain things of hating certain people, that's because the world has set up the question and the standard and then try, if we don't fit into it, then we're obviously what they say we are. Don't be intimidated by that. Don't let other people define the truth for you. Stand on this truth and God will back you up. And God will back you up. We talked a little bit about that last week. So this word is now, now you've got pastors that are making decisions whether do I stand on what this says about issues in society? If so, I may lose half my congregation who don't believe this. And then my support's going to go down, and then, but I will not do that. Because I'm going to stand before God for whether I told you the truth or not. You'll stand before God for what you did with it. But I will stand. If I don't tell you the truth, then the responsibility's on me. If I, and I don't, like it, I don't like conflict, but I will tell you the truth is because I believe God says it in this Word. Okay, so the Word is the first way. That's obvious. The second way, which is a little trickier, is the witness of your spirit. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I hesitate to get into this because there are all kinds of people doing spooky things out there because they're being quote-unquote led by the Spirit. But we have to share this. It's important. Uh, let's get started in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. That's interesting because later on he talks about the word children of God. And I, I don't dwell on this too much, but there are two different Greek words. When, God, when in Romans 8 Paul talks about we're all children of God, that's the word technon. And what that word means is somebody that biologically come from you. So we have four technons. Chris and Emily and those two characters you saw on the screen today. So, I mean, we have, we have a daughter now who's come by marriage of Chris. We have a son who's come by marriage of Emily. But we have four technons, children biologically born from our bodies. But this word sons is the word huios which means a mature child. The kind of child that instead of just needing things from you, honors you, respects you, and I have children that do that. It's a sign of maturity. They gr begin to grow up like you. It's a sign of maturity. So when he talks about here, and I don't want to dwell on that distinction, he said, uh, uh, for, all, for as many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of, of, of a bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And this is what I wanted to get to. The Spirit Himself 
bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So one of the things the Holy Spirit does is bear witness to our spirit of truth. Bear witness to our spirit of truth. You have, if you're in Christ, you have, your spirit has been reborn. That's how you got in Christ. And that reborn spirit, the Bible says, is of God. It's come out of God. That's what makes you His child. It's not your body that makes you His child. Your body is the child of what your parents physically did, however many years ago that was. And your parents' body produced your body. But God's spirit reproduced your spirit that's living in you. And that newborn spirit is born out of God. That's how you become His child. But then the Scriptures tell us God also sends His own Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in you. And so when Paul's saying here, the Holy Spirit who lives in you bears witness with your spirit that's been reborn from God that you are a child of God. He bears witness with it by making it kind of known to you on the inside. If you ask them, how, how, do, you know you're, how do you know you're saved? If you're not up here in your mind, you'll just know it down in here. Not up here, you'll just, there's a knowing down in here, and we're going to explain that a, a little more as we get into this. Let me give an example of this, and, and this is subtle, so it's not, if you're new to this, it, it's not the easiest thing to discern, but you really need to develop it, because it's so important to know how to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so you need to know what to listen for and what not to listen for. Right after we were saved, not long after we were saved, we, I didn't know anything. And, and uh, we had good friends that, that was really the one that led us to the Lord, and they were going on vacation. Uh, and I, I drove him to the airport, and on the way, as he got out of the car, he said, oh, by the way, there's some tapes in the back that if you want to listen to them while we're gone, you know, be happy to take them. Well, not long after that, our, we, our family went out to Ohio, where Anita's from, and we spent time out there, and then they stayed out there, and I had to get back for work. So I flew back for work, and it happened to be I was home all alone over a July 4th weekend, and I'm bored. So I remembered those tapes. And I went out to the car to find them, and all I could think of is, I hope it's not that guy with that Texas accent that I've heard. And I just hope it's not this guy. Uh, his name is Copeland or something like that. And I opened them up, and sure enough, it was Kenneth Copeland's tape. So, all right, I'll listen to it. And I listened to that first tape, and I got madder and madder and madder. You can't say those things. I got mad. That's not true. I ran and found my Bible. I'm starting to look these things up. I listened to that first tape, that first day, 10, 15 times. Or maybe over two days. I kept listening to it over and over again because I was trying to prove it was wrong. A number of years later, when I was meditating on some of these things, I felt the Lord asked me, He said, Son, I'm going to ask you a question. Remember that tape when you listened? To it? Yeah. Why? He said, Why did you keep listening to it? If it was so wrong, why did you keep listening to it? I said, I don't know. Why did I keep listening to it? He said, because down in your spirit, your spirit man knew you were hearing truth. It was your mind that was seizing up on you. It was your images of God and your images, your religious training that you had that was, that was balking. It was up here. But in here, because if that were not true, you couldn't have listened to it that many times. But your spirit... Your, your, your spirit that was not yet matured in you recognized that truth when you heard it. And from that time on, I've learned to kind of sense and hear. Now, there's some dangers with that because remember, what you sense and hear has got to line up with 
here because the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you and bear witness of something that's not in the book he wrote. So your spirit bears witness with you of truth. Now, but to do that, because what, what he's using is he's using your heart, not that physical pump that beats 70 times a minute or so. The spirit, the nature of you on the inside. So we're going to talk this morning in the remaining of time about the condition of your heart because that determines your ability to discern truth. That determines your ability to discern truth. So we're going to look at some scriptures that talk about your heart. Proverbs chapter 3, one of my favorite scriptures. Favorite scripture of Pastor Sam, the founder of the church here. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your mind. and le- Oh no, with all your heart. This is some of the greatest wisdom the Bible has. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That doesn't mean you can't understand things, but it says don't lean on it. Don't rest on it. Don't rely on it. I'm going to do... Gary, would you come up here a minute? You're big enough so that I can trust you. I'm going to come up here. I used you last time for something too, didn't I? Okay. All right, you just stand here. Okay, we're going to pin your usher. All right? So when I'm standing here, I'm trusting my well-being on my feet. Everybody see me okay? I'm trusting my well-being on my feet. Now, it says, trust in the Lord with the all in your heart and lean not to your own understanding. So right now, I'm leaning on my understanding, my understanding of things. If I understand it, then I can trust it. If I don't understand it, I don't trust it. That's where so many of us are. But that says I'm supposed to be leaning on the Lord, trusting Him. So you're going to be the Lord today. Okay, Okay, you've been promoted from the Son to the Lord. So, okay, that's good. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. So what I'm going to do, this is where most of us are, because we've been around a law, we know we need to trust the Lord. So here's what we do. And I, oh, I'm trusting God. Uh, but I still got my center of gravity over my feet, so that if He's not there, I can pull myself back. I'm still trusting in my understanding, even though I'm trying to, I'm leaning, so I'm leaning towards the Lord, but I'm trusting in my understanding. And what Proverbs says is for God to be able to truly, for me to be able to have a heart that's truly trusting in Him, I've got to get off my center of gravity, off of my feet, and I've got to now, now I'm trusting Him. That's why I picked a big guy. (laughs) Because if He fails, I go down. I can't trust myself now. And you can't, you can put me back up, thank you God. I can't do, I can't be doing both. And I'm glad to know God's bigger than you are. <laughs> Thank you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So the question is, what is your heart trusting in? Because what we're learning this morning is the organ that's in me, not the physical organ, the spiritual organ that's in me that, d- that discerns the truth is my heart 
So if my heart's not trusting God, then what it's trusting in is my understanding, and right away, whatever my understanding has is going to influence what my heart can see. Can you see that? I'm going to try it over here. The reason this is so important, we're learning to discern how can I tell truth. And I'm, and I'm telling you, the Word says you can trust what's in your heart, but you've got to know your heart first. What's your heart trusting in? And so Proverbs is saying that as long if your heart is trusting in the Lord and not your own ability to understand something, then you can trust your heart. But if you're not putting your heart's trust in the Lord and you're trying to figure everything out before you'll trust, then you're going to have trouble trusting your heart because your understanding is mixed in there. goes on to say, in all your ways, here somewhere, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. That word acknowledge doesn't mean say, thank you God, I, I, I see you. That word acknowledge means to know. And it's the same knowing that it says in Genesis, one of them, one or two, oh three, and Adam knew Eve. Your parents knew each other and that's where you came from. It's an intimate knowing. In all your ways, know Him and He shall direct your paths goes on to say, Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's trusting in your own understanding. But fear the Lord. That means reverence Him. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Okay, I went on too further. Okay, let's go over to chapter 4. We're talking about the heart. Verse 23. Keep, that word means protect your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it spring or come the issues of life. The issues of life, of, of, of what we're talking about, come out of your heart. So guard your heart with all diligence, which implies things can get in your heart that affect what you can see. I work diligently to keep things out of my heart that will affect my heart in the wrong way because I preach to you out of my heart. If I were to allow my heart to get offended at anybody in the church or at anything in the church, there would be, an, there would be the temptation, whether I was conscious of it or not, to preach against something. And if you notice, unless I slip, I don't preach against things, I preach for things. Now there are some things that need to be declared against because they're clearly wrong in the Bible, but I don't preach against anybody. I'm very careful because I'm aware that if anything Satan would like to poison my heart towards people. And I'm going to show you a minute. There have been people that have said bad things towards me. There are people saying it right now. People have written nasty letters about me. I don't let that get in my heart. I can't afford to let that get in my heart because whatever I let get in my heart that's not of the Spirit of God will eventually affect you, let alone my marriage and my family and my own life. And here there's evidence that affects your health. So this is not a casual statement. Guard your heart. You know, lots of things go in our mind. We need to be careful what we put in our mind, but you need to be extremely careful what you allow into your heart. 
offense. That's the number one thing Satan uses, is to get you offended. So you'll have sweet brothers and sisters line up. Did you hear what they said about you? And they'll put it on Facebook. Now, you know what they're saying about you out there? I don't look at Facebook for that reason. I don't want to know what people are saying out there, good or bad. Nothing personal. So if you tried to befriend me and I haven't answered you, it's not personal. I'm not doing that with anybody because I cannot afford, I cannot afford to listen to things. Someone sent me a letter a few weeks ago and to all the elders and things like that. And my first question when I found out about it before I ever opened it, was it signed? They said, no. I said, I'm not even opening it. I'm not going to read something that's not signed. And even things I do read that are signed, I'm very careful. I've got to guard my heart. I cannot let offense in. And I'm just as human as you are. But I've worked at this to be diligent about it. And it's not just offense. We have to be careful of what, 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 what entertainment we watch. Because there are very subtle things in there. We get so used to it that our hearts get hardened or calloused over so we see lots of murders, and I love murder mysteries. I, you know, I'm like one of the famous pastors. I leave here, I want to sit down, and, and I want to watch somebody shot. <laughs> I want to watch a murder. I like murder mysteries because I like solving them. Not because I like seeing people killed. But I've got to be careful about that because I'm very subtly just letting things get in my heart and in my spirit. And it's not that we have to not go to movies, but you've got to be discerning. You're the one that guards. That's what he says. You do it. God can't do this for you. But the issue here is the importance of the sensitivity of your heart. I've told you the story before that when I was in school, law school, that I had a summer job one time working in a, in a, in a, in a door factory. We made doors, doors for houses. And I don't know how they do it now. We're talking about 50 years ago. And when I started there, my hands, I'd never done manual labor before. So my hands were very sensitive and very tender. By the t- and my job was, together with somebody else, was to line up the, the raw plywood in certain order. And plywood, if you notice, on the sides, full of splinters and things, and that's where I had to grab it. And we didn't have gloves. So by the end of the first week, my hands were raw, and, but by the end of the third week, my hands were getting callous. By the end of the summer, you could stick needles in me. I mean, stick them in there, and I wouldn't feel anything. But here's the problem. If I caressed my wife's face, I couldn't feel it either. I could, my fa- hands lost their ability to be sensitive to her touch. And so when our heart allows all kinds of these worldly things in, what happens, it begins to get hardened to those things and we lose the delicate sensitivity that God built in there. I don't have time to get off on this this morning. But when it talks about this to Christians, Paul writes a number of places that it is your conscience. Your conscience is your heart when you're a Christian. And that what should rule you is your conscience. And even talks about, even though I know it's okay for me to do certain things, this in God's eyes, but if it's going to cause, if it's going to cause my brother Steve, if it's going to cause, going to entice him to do something that violates his conscience, I've led him into sin. Because to violate your conscience in the Bible's terms, the New Testament, is sin. Because you're violating that standard that's in you. And the the sense of right and wrong that's in you may not be fully educated yet, but if you're violating it, that's what sin is. So it's not some laws written out here. God says, I'll write my laws in your heart. So if our heart becomes insensitive, we have no guidance system to know what's right and what's wrong. 
So it's very important that we protect our heart. Go with me to Matthew 6. We've talked about this before, but this is... Notice he says, the issues of life come out of your heart. The issues of life, issues, the outflow of life, knowledge, discernment of what's right and wrong, of, of what God's direction for your life is. So many Christians, what, you know, what does God want me to do? What's God's direction for my life? He's speaking, but we're not hearing. Because we hasn't, haven't developed a sensitive ear to the this, this leading of the Spirit down inside. So go with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at this in the New Testament. Some of my favorite scriptures in here. Matthew 6 verse, verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. That makes sense. In other words, the lamp is what allows light into your body is your eyeball. So when people are blind, what they, the world to them is dark because no light, there's light out there but it's not getting in because their eyes aren't working or the, nerve, the system, their, their sight system is not working. The lamp of the body is the eye. So he's going to use a comparison here because we'll understand this. He's going to use a comparison between your physical eye, what it does for your body, and your spiritual eye, what it does for your soul and your spirit. Same principle. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, that means healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So if your eye is working correctly, all it does is let the truth in to your brain. So you can tell that right now I have a pink shirt on. It tells you I'm secure in my masculinity. I have a pink shirt on and I have a reddish and black tie on this morning. So your eyes can tell that because light is bouncing off of that going through the pupil into the, the retina in the back of your eye. The nervous system takes those impulses, takes it to your brain, and your brain interprets pink shirt, red tie. Now if your eye were diseased, go to the next verse, 23. But if your eye is bad, that word literally means diseased. If your eye is diseased, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So if your eye is defective, if you have a cataract or astigmatism, or you have something wrong with your eye, then, 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 the, the, then your, the light's not getting in, so your body will be full of darkness. How great is that darkness? If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how can light get in me and be darkness? Because you're not seeing clearly. So if you have astigmatism or you have cataracts, what happens is light's getting in, but it's being diffused, it's being bent, so you can't trust it. Well, this is very important. So if you know your eyes aren't working right, or you get something in your eye and it waters, suppose you're driving down 195 on the way to church, and you've got your windows open on this beautiful day, and some dust blows in the window, gets in your eye, and your eye starts watering like this, are you going to keep going along at the speed limit? Of course, you're driving the speed limit. You're going to keep going along, even though your eyes are watered, you can't see? No, you're going to slow down and pull off, and get. I hope you are, and get your eyes cleared out so that you can see clearly, because you know it's dangerous to drive a car at 65 miles an hour if you can't see clearly. How great is that darkness? Now he goes on to talk about issues of the heart. We're not going to go there. He goes to talk about money and he goes to talk about worry. He says, therefore, take no thought for your life. In other words, don't take a thought into your heart about your life and worry about the things of this life because that's going to pollute your heart. 
It's going to draw you away, your heart away, from or relate your relationship with the Lord. Doesn't mean we aren't concerned about our clothing. Doesn't mean we're not concerned about it. But don't let it to come to the point of worry. Because when you worry, you have not. You're no longer trusting in the Lord. You're trusting in your own understanding. And what you're doing is you're allowing things in your heart to take a place that belongs to God and not to those things. In verse 33, he says the famous verse, the well-known verse, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's talking about what you seek with your heart. And all these things will be added unto you. God will take care of you. So it's the heart that we have to guard. There's a very, there's a poem. I heard this from Ravi Zacharias, and I looked it up. I wish I'd find a slide to put it up there, but I'll go through this slowly. This is a quote from William Blake. This is about, this is the society we live in. He's talking about the eye. The eye, if your eye sees clearly, it does its job, your mind interprets what you see. But we're living in a different society, and he sought for service when he said this, Life's dim windows... I'll go through it quickly first, then I'll go through it slowly. Life dims windows of the soul distorts the heavens from pole to pole and leads you to believe a lie. Listen carefully. When you see with... Whoops, and not through the eye. I'll break it down. Life's dim windows of the soul. Talking about your eyes. Your eyes are windows to your soul, letting things in. And it's dim now because we don't understand a lot that's out there. Life's dim windows of the soul distort the heavens from pole to pole, north to south pole, distort the heavens and lead you to believe a lie. And this is what I want you to see. When you see with and not through the eye. What he's talking about is your eye sees, I'm looking, I'm looking right now at Al and Sandy. And I, my eye is letting the light in that tells me Al and Sandy are in their assigned seats. <laughs> and I'm glad they are. Because I look for them whether they're there or not. But all my eye's job is, is to take what's out there and pass it through to my brain, which now figures out what that means. So your eye is a lens that simply takes what's outside of it and brings that truth to the film or the digital, whatever it is now. Everybody follow me so far? And as long as we're seeing through the eye, we're not being influenced by the eye. But when we start seeing with the eye and not through the eye, what he's saying is the eye interprets for you what's out there. That's what's going on in our news media. They're no longer telling you that they're no longer passing data and information from what's out there to you so you can interpret it for what it means. They're interpreting it for you and telling you what it means. That's seeing with the eye, not through the eye. So when you take the eye, which is what Jesus is talking about there, which has been given to us by God, not to interpret things, but just to tell us what's out there. When you take that eye, and He's using the heart, when we take our heart, which is intended by God, to discern His voice, to discern His leadings, and we begin to begin to use our heart for our own purposes, then we're seeing with our heart and not 
through our heart. Everybody understand? This is a little heavy, but it is so important you understand this because this is what's going on in our culture. This is what's going on in the church in so many places is people are interpreting for you what it means before it ever gets to you. And because we've not learned to listen critically, and I mean that in a general sense. I don't mean, I hate those people. I mean, listen, is there truth in that? Where are they coming? And I told you, I've been trained in this, so it's easier for me to hear their words. And I've used examples about, well, they say, who's they? Because when, well, they are saying this, they're trying, they're, they're trying to interpret what they hear out there, and I just want to know the facts. And I'll interpret them for myself. So when our heart... This is all talking about keeping our heart, guarding our heart. Just as your eye, if it starts interpreting, it gets things in it and distorts it. Your heart, if things are in your heart that are not of God, if things are in your heart that are out there from the world, they will influence how your heart can discern things. So what we're talking about is the second and the major way of discerning truth is does my spirit bear witness with it? But if there are other things in my spirit, if my spirit seeing is, 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 has other things in it, I can't fully trust it. So why when I get a, an emotional reaction to something people's done, I will not act on it. I won't act. I will not act out of my emotional reaction, not my emotional response. Because then there's some of me involved until I've sorted out, is this God? Is this the, uh, the anger of God about the situation? Or is there a little bit of me in it? Because if there's a little bit of me in it, I can't afford to act on that until I know I've gotten me out of it. Everybody following me? That? And you want to be glad, because if, if you don't know me enough, if I get upset about something, I'm going to kill everybody. Pastor Lafayette Scales once said, you know, and he said it in here. He said, I've had some Sundays, I just want to shoot them all. They're all going to hell. <laughs> I don't feel that way because I try to, you know, I'm not saying what he does. I'm just trying to keep my heart right. I can't afford to let that in there. And you need to know that because you've got to know you whether you can trust me or not. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about what some of these things are in the time we have left. This is all in Jesus' talk. This whole section, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus talking about our hearts. So we'll go back to chapter 5. This is how Jesus talks about things we need to be aware of to keep our heart pure. And this is just an example. Matthew 5, we're going to talk about... Um, look at, go to verse 21. And he's doing a contrast here between what the law required and what God requires of us. And the law was a series of rules of how you acted on the outside. And it didn't matter what you thought on the inside. You could do all nice things, which is what we kind of do with each other. Hi, how are you? Love you. But inside, we hated them. And so what he's talking about here about, it's not what you do on the outside, it's what's going on in your heart in these situations. Because if your heart's right, your actions will be right. But you can have good actions and a stinking heart. And Jesus is going to draw this parallel. And this is challenging things. I told you, this church is not kindergarten. But this is how we grow up. Matthew 5, 21. We're going through a series of these. He's going to talk about murder here. Well, none of us have ever committed murder. I hope not. You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother... Now, murder is something you do outwardly, but anger is something that comes out of your heart. 
But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause will be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Racha, that just means empty-headed, calls him a name, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring to your gift to the altar, and there remember that someone has something against you, leave your gift before the altar, and go your way, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. He's saying your heart towards your brother is more important than the gifts you give. See, we look at what we do. God looks at the heart. And I'm talking at this morning not so much of God judging our heart, but keeping our heart pure so we can trust our heart. Am I discerning truth or not? And so if I'm focusing all the good deeds I do, I'm an usher here and I tithe, I give all kinds of things, I am faithful to my connect group, I do all these things, but you're sitting there with your heart angry at people. You know, you're sitting here and there's somebody, and I'm not thinking of anybody. You're, close my eyes. You're sitting here and somebody's sitting over there and you won't talk to them. Your gifts don't mean anything. And your heart's poisoned. And you will not be able to discern the truth. The danger is you'll think you're discerning truth, but you can't tell the difference because you polluted the sensor that you have. Uh, Last week, someone on the staff was sawing up some wood downstairs. I won't mention any names. (laughs) And dust flew up, and it was about to set off our smoke detectors because they're sensitive to what's in the air. And because there's... So they come here periodically. We have a service that comes and checks our smoke detectors, checks their sensitivity. Because if they get dust or things in them, they're not going to work correctly and they won't give us an alarm that there's smoke because smoke comes before the fire. And your heart is a warning system that something's wrong or someone you can't... Whatever it is. All right, I've got to move on. Verse 27. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's something you do with your body. I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's saying, look, under the law, it's what you did physically with your body. But I'm saying to you, you started that before you ever did it with your body. It started in your heart. You let those thoughts in your heart. Now, Brother Hagin used to have this expression. I love it. He said, I can't stop the birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from nesting in my hair. So you can't control the thoughts that come to you. But you are completely responsible for what you do with them. And keep in mind, you're trying to guard this heart. Now don't don't go out there and say, well, he said that, I've already lost that in my heart, so I might as well go do it with my body. That's stupid. (laughs) What you've done is you've made your sin public now. But he's talking about your heart. He said it's not just what you do with your body, it's the heart. These things begin in the heart. So I guard my heart that way. If I get thoughts in that direction, I've, I remember walking through the law from just thinking, no, 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 no. I'd say it out loud Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If I had to picture him on the cross, I would do that. So it's a lot easier for me now to not have to deal with those thoughts because I've disciplined myself. Doesn't mean they don't come but you've got to guard your heart 
because all sin eventually comes out of your heart or all righteousness comes out of your heart or righteousness comes out. Okay, let's move on. I love this next one's a little more subtle. Verse 33. Everybody okay? Yes. That wasn't too unanimous. <laughs> Say this with me. I love, I love Pastor John. Okay, I feel better. Thank you. <laughs> you've, heard it, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. In other words, you shall not swear, you, you, shall, you shall not give an oath falsely, is what he's saying. Because in the Old Testament, there was a standard for certain oaths. But I'll show you what that means. He said, but I say to you, don't swear at all. And he's not talking about using the name of the Lord. He's don't, no, don't make oaths to one another, nor by heaven or by, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the king. Nor shall you swear by your head. That was one of their practices. Some people swear by their eyes or their mother's eyes or, you know. But let, this is it, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more of these is evil, of the evil one. What he's saying there is when you say, okay, when I, when I swear by something that I'm telling you I really mean it, that leaves, open, that leaves open the possibility that I can say things that I don't mean, but if I mean it, I'll give an oath with it. Everybody follow me so far? That creates in me an opening that I can say things that aren't true. And that's what he says. It's an opening to the evil one. Because I'm allowing what's called a duplicity in my heart. I'm allowing a double standard in my heart. Sometimes I can say the truth. In other words, I can say they're not true. But I can just say them. Like, I love you. I'll be there. And I'm not looking at anybody right now. Because I've done this for you do that one more time and I'm going to spank you. I said, if you do that one more time, and this time I really mean it. <laughs> Our kids are smarter than that. They register. They didn't mean it the first time. There's a good chance they don't. Then you try to figure out when is it they really mean it. When my mother would go through all our names, she'd get so mad she couldn't get our names out straight. There was over six boys. And she'd go through, the, through those names. So the point is here. He's talking about the heart. If you have integrity in your heart, you don't need to swear by anything because your yes is yes and your no is no. You mean what you say. The Bible says swear to your own hurt. Your word should be your bond. <laughs> Verse 43. It's going to get even more fun here. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. It's one thing for people to hate you. It's another thing to have enemies. But when somebody spitefully uses you, that means they chose, they picked you out. And they figured out how they could spitefully use you. They could take advantage. They came after you. And he's saying, pray for them. Do good for them. Why? Because what they're doing wrong should not enter your heart. Because when you strike back at somebody, you've now opened your heart to what they're doing. My mother had this experience. You've come down to their level. Verse 45 tells us why. So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He's not saying by doing this you'll get saved. He's saying you're going to act like your Father in heaven. You're going to act like who you really are. 
If you're a child of God, this is how your father acts. And he's going to tell you what he does. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Do you know he's providing sunshine? Not now. He provides sunshine to ISIS. He provides oxygen. He provides the basic things ISIS needs. Enemies of his. There was a point in time that Romans 5 says we were all his enemies. And it says Christ died for his enemies. This is the Father's heart. The Father doesn't judge his enemies. The Father's not angry at his enemies. He loves his enemies and he doesn't just love them sitting in heaven. He gave his son's life for his enemies. I read you a quote from a, one of these uh, uh, enlightened philosophers that this doesn't make sense to the human mind that, uh, that a sovereign God would give his beloved son's life for people who hated him. That's illogical, so it couldn't be true. That's because he's trying to understand it with the mind and has no, 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 no contact with the heart of God that's so much bigger, so much more loving. And God saying, Jesus is saying here, be like your fathers in heaven. I'm going to cut it short. He goes down to say, and this is the verse at the end, this is the one that, this is the one that, that opened my heart to receive Christ. He says, be perfect, verse 48, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, act like your Father. Act like who you really are. And very quickly, I want to turn to Romans 13, because here's it practically applied. Owe no man anything but to love him. Owe no man anything, verse 8, but to love him. For he who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any commandment, and all these things are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What's this all about? The two primary methods that God has given us for discerning truth is the Word of God, but even that you have to discern. But the, He's put the discerner in you, which is your spirit, your born-again spirit and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's trying to bear witness with your spirit about truth in any situation. But therefore, you've got to protect your heart because that's the sensor you have of what truth is. And the devil's trying to get other things in there at all costs. Envy, jealousy, strife, judgment, pride, all these things to get into your heart to poison your, your receptor, to poison your, 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 your truth sensor so that you can't discern spiritual truth. And here's the danger. Your mind will tell you you're right. But what's your spirit saying? Your mind will tell you you're right. But what's your spirit saying? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you've given us what we need. We thank you today, Father, that you've given us the truth, that you are the truth. And Father, we all come in here with hearts in various different conditions. And Father, we ask you today to take the truth that you've spoken to each one of us today and seal that in our hearts and by the Holy Spirit begin to open our eyes to see areas in our life where we've allowed things in and then strengthen us by your Spirit that we may be able to surrender them and let them go. In Jesus' name, amen.